Well, hello, my name is Neil Apatu and I'm the Associate Minister at Christchurch. It's great to add my welcome to those we've heard already today and especially to say hello uh, to our brothers and sisters down at Emmanuel Church. Uh, it's great to be able to preach as part of this series and hopefully I'll be able to preach to you in person in the not too distant future. Please bow your heads to pray as we begin. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week, uh, Bart spoke about the priorities of a church leader from Acts chapter 6, in which he reminded us that uh, prayer and ministry of the word were to be their focus, reminding us that there is a word to be proclaimed at the heart of the Christian faith. This week, we're continuing to look more closely at what the Bible says about the work of a church leader. We might be tempted to ask why. Why this focus on word work when there's so much to get on with? And I think that's a right and proper question to be asking, isn't it? I mean, let's just think about some of the pressing needs we have in our own church life at the moment. We're looking for a new vicar. At Christchurch, we're wondering about opening up our church doors and what that looks like. I imagine Emmanuel Church having similar conversations. In our community, we have food banks, homelessness, poverty, social deprivation and economic inequality. In our nation or our world, there is racial injustice. There's an abortion epidemic. There is a disability discrimination going on. There is debates around gender. Isn't this what our ministers should be prioritising? When there's so much to be getting on with out there, doesn't it feel wrong for ministers to spend their time locked in their studies, at reading books and praying among a mountain of books? I mean, isn't that just a bit of a luxury? Well, today we'll hear that in his wisdom and knowing what we are like, God has ordered things this way. What God is saying to us from his word today is this. Christians grow under the shepherding of Christ's ministers. Christians grow under the shepherding of Christ's ministers. And we should expect to see believers grow in two ways. Firstly, to grow up and secondly, to grow in unity with each other. So let's look at both of these a little in the time we have. Firstly, Christians grow up under the shepherding of Christ's ministers. Now I've got two young children aged five and eight, uh, whom I love very much. But if I'm honest, my expectations of them are fairly low. I expect more of them than I did when they were babies. But It'd be really silly if I expected them to go and use the gas top cooker or something like that, wouldn't it? I mean, uh, in fact, that's worse than silly, really, isn't it? It's actually quite neglectful. That's because they're children, aren't they? There are things they simply can't do. They haven't practiced them enough or they're not strong enough or uh, they're too small to be able to do some things. In lockdown, we've been doing uh, home learning here, as I imagine many people have around the country. Uh, and what it normally looks like in our house is that our eight-year-old daughter is sitting down by herself getting on with her work whilst my wife or I sit next to our five-year-old son and painstakingly and repetitively teach him the same sounds and letters over and over again. Why do I treat my children differently? Because our daughter is older, she's more mature, she's able to get on with certain things, whereas in some ways our son is less mature and needs more attention, more instruction. 
And God says that that's a lot like Christians who are his children. Look down at verses 11 to 13 with me. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God is saying through Paul that when Jesus ascended into heaven to sit at his right hand of the Father in glory, where he is still ruling and reigning today, that he gave gifts to his church. What are these gifts? Well, verse 11, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, all of these are word ministers, as we heard about last week. And the work of these word ministers is to equip Jesus' people to do good works. How do these word ministers equip God's children? Through teaching God's children about Jesus. Can you see that in verse 13? We are equipped by reaching unity in the knowledge of the Son of God, knowledge about Jesus. This knowledge makes us mature. This knowledge helps us to attain the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, my children are better equipped to participate at school when they're taught to do so. That's what the job of their teachers are, at least it was before lockdown. God's children, in the same way, are better equipped to live out their calling to be Jesus' followers, Christians, when they are taught to do so. And this is why it is so important to be a part of a church that faithfully teaches God's word. What happens, could we ask, to new believers when they try to go it alone? Or to go to a church that doesn't take teaching God's word seriously? Verse 14. They're like infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. This is the tragic picture of what is happening to many Christians around the world who rather than being anchored in God's true and perfect word are cut free from their moorings and allowed to ride the storms of life on their own. Not knowing what God says about how to live in the world he created and instead of growing in their knowledge of Jesus, instead of becoming mature, they remain infants for most of their Christian life. Now, at the other end of the spectrum, you might be sitting here thinking, I've been attending a Bible teaching church for years. I'm super mature. And you might have the grey hair to prove it. Does that mean that you have now attained the whole measure of the, of the fullness of Christ? Well, of course not. But our sure and certain hope is that all who believe the good news of the gospel realise that Jesus was the most mature human whoever lived, complete in his knowledge of God. And every right decision that Jesus made is counted as mine in place of every immature and wrong decision that I regularly make. When I trust in his life in my place, his death for my sins, and the hope his resurrection secures for me. And one day, when I stand before him on his recreated world, and all of you who believe stand there with me, then, brothers and sisters, then we will be perfectly mature. So, Christians grow up under the shepherding of Christ's ministers. But also Christians grow up in unity 
under the shepherding of Christ's ministers. This part of Ephesians opens and closes with language all about unity, doesn't it? Verse 2, bearing with one another in love. Verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Verse 4, one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all, through all and in all. And at the close of our passage, verse 16, a whole body joined and held together, each part doing its work. What unites these two ends of our passage is what's sandwiched in the middle. Back to verse 11. Jesus gave the gift of word ministers to his church to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ, this church of his believers, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. When the body of Christ, that's all of us who follow Jesus as our Lord, including word ministers, when we, the body of Christ, give our attention to word ministers and their ministry, the ones that Jesus has given as gifts to his church, then, Jesus says, we will grow in a deep and godly unity. Unity doesn't mean we agree on everything. There are some things God has given us room to disagree on. And unity doesn't mean that we don't challenge each other. In fact, Paul expects godly challenge to be a sign of our unity. That's quite radical, isn't it? The world around us today says that if you disagree on something that society says is good or right, you should be silenced or prosecuted or cancelled, as the new word goes. The problem is, we as Christians have a Bible that has always been countercultural, offensive even to those who don't follow Jesus. It always has been. And until Jesus comes back, it probably always will be. And that's why verse 15, we need to speak the truth in love to each other. As word ministers faithfully teach God's word, pointing to its fulfillment in Jesus week in, week out, in our sermons, in our pastoral visits over coffee, as we do this, then those who hear us become soaked more and more in God's word, in how it points to Jesus and being transformed by the power of God's spirit through the teaching of his word, the church begins to speak God's words to each other. So as we catch up with a brother or sister and they mention something that God's word seems to say is not good for us, then speaking the truth in love, we gently correct them. When we see a brother or sister acting sinfully or chasing after their sin, then speaking the truth in love, we gently correct them. When we read a Facebook or Twitter post that someone that seems opposed to God's word, then speaking the truth in love, we gently correct them. When a Christian at work or school acts in a way not worthy of the calling they've received, then speaking the truth in love, we gently correct them. I mean, Isn't that what Jesus did time and time again? With the woman at the well, Jesus confronts her quite directly with the fact that she's been living sinfully in her relationships with men. With the rich young ruler, Jesus told him the hardest thing he ever heard, go and sell everything and give to the poor. But right before that, Jesus told him to do this outrageous thing. It says that Jesus looked at him and he loved him. Because Jesus loved both of these people, he called them out of their sin. 
Allowing someone you know to continue in their sin may feel like the loving thing to do, but it's really not, especially if they are a fellow believer. Instead, we are to speak the truth in love, which can often be really hard to do. But God says that it's when we do this, verse 15, that we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Jesus, who is the head over our body. That's a promise, a promise of God. So why this focus on word work when there is so much we could be getting on with? Well, because it's when church leaders give their time to equipping the church, that the church becomes mature, that the church lives out her calling in our community, our nation and our world. In his wisdom, that's how God has organised his church. We don't believe in the professionalisation of ministry where only those who are paid to do God's work. No, we believe in the ministry of every member of Christ's body. So what is the work of a church leader? Well, above all, it's prayer and ministry of the word. And when we give our time to this important work, God says that Christians will grow under the shepherding of his ministers. We will grow up and we will grow in our unity. Those are the things we're praying for this week. Amen.